Amen, amen. All right, you guys are too happy. We're in church. Calm down. <laughs> I think you guys love each other too much. How many are grateful that you love your church and go to a church that loves you back? Amen. All right, let's all remain standing as we get into the Word of God today. We're starting a brand new series. I'm not going to tell you what it is yet, but I promise you it's going to really change your life. You're going to relate to all four weeks of this series. And it's just one word. But before we get to that word, let's go to John chapter 5, verse 1. And this is what the Word of God says. It says, Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for a feast of the Jews. Now in Jerusalem, near the Sheep Gate, a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonies. Notice this in verse 3. Here, a great number of disabled people used to lie. A great number used to lie there. The blind, the lame, the paralyzed. And one who was there had been invalid for 38 years. And when Jesus saw him laying there, he learned that he had been in this condition for a long time. And he asked him, Do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool. When the water is stirred, while I am trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, Get up, pick up your mat, and walk. And at once, verse 9 says, At once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and he walked. The day on which this took place was on the Sabbath. And so the Jews said to the man who had been healed, it is the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat and walk. But he replied, The man who made me well said to me to pick up my mat and walk. So they asked him, Who is this fellow who told you to pick up your mat and walk? The man who was healed had no idea who it was, for Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that he was there. Later, Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, See, you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who made him well. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this word we're about to receive today, Lord. And Father, a lot of us here we want to see things go well in our lives. And Father, as we just start this series, I pray that you would use me to preach your word. Bless us this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You guys can have a seat. You guys ready for the new series? Amen. All right. We're starting a brand new series for four weeks entitled Stuck. Stuck. Now I want you to really think about that word, stuck. You ever feel like this, turtle? <laughs> Just stuck? For four weeks, we're going to be talking about stuck, how to get unstuck, how to get God to move in your life. How many of you want to see a movement of God in your life? You see, a lot of us, we go to church, we might pray, read the Bible, do our best to walk as Christians. But see, a lot of times we just don't see God moving in our lives. And when you look at this man in the Bible, he did one thing that changed his life forever, but I'm not going to tell you what that one thing is just yet. But let me paint a picture of what's happening here. In Jerusalem, there's a pool known as Bethesda. Now, I actually have been to Podesta, and i got to tell you, when I was there, it depressed me. You see, because outside of Jerusalem, right there, but it's just a few blocks away from Jerusalem, you can hear the sound of people echoing through the brick roads and the walls. You can hear the sound of people doing things and busy and moving. But if you just go by, back to this back alleyway, 
you see this, this hallway and it's a long stretch of pool and that's Bethesda. And Bethesda was full of crippled, blind, sick, dying people by the hundreds. So imagine that if you're in this pool, you're waiting by it, but you can hear the sound of everyone else getting ahead in life, everyone else doing things. You can hear the sound of people happy and living life. But then in this deep, dark back corner, you're in this place filled with so many broken people. This is what it was like to be in the pool of Bethesda. And here we see these people sick, blind, deaf, dying, and they're waiting for a miracle. Nothing else is going to change their life. No medicine, no doctor, no remedy is going to get these people healed. So they believe that if they stood by this pool, we don't know if it actually happened or not, but it said that an angel would come and stir the water up and whoever got into the pool was healed. So all these people were sitting by this pool waiting for a miracle. Waiting for God to do something. And that's why I was led to this story because I wonder how many people are waiting on God to do something in their life. Or maybe you're waiting for some type of miracle to take place because you find yourself in a situation that goes beyond your ability to fix. And you just don't know what to do. See, a miracle is something outside of the of the natural. It's a supernatural thing. It doesn't happen by human means. When you witness a miracle, it's something that God can only do. And I wonder how many of you are saying right now, I'm in need of a miracle in my own life. Maybe I need a miracle financial. I need a financial miracle. Don't we all? Amen? Or maybe you say, well, I need a miracle in my health. I need a miracle to happen in my marriage. I need some type of miracle with these kids that I'm raising. I need a miracle. You'll be surprised how many people are just like these people, just sitting, waiting for something supernatural by God to happen. Wouldn't you know the Bible talks about one man that was there. The Bible describes this man, when you read him, 38 years paralyzed, 38 years unable to walk. And when I read the story of this man, you know, maybe you could describe this man as a life, if you can describe his life in any way, you might say his life was unfair. Maybe you describe his life as painful, or even sad, or you might describe his life as a struggle. But for some reason, when I read this story, I described this man's life as stuck. 38 years, how many would agree? If you've had the same problem for 38 years, you can classify that under stuck. 38 years of the same situation. You would say, Pastor, I'm stuck. Do you know how many people in life feel stuck? Do you know that as a pastor I get to sit down with people that are hurting and broken and have given up on life and I've seen the problems like you wouldn't imagine and most of the time they would describe their situation. They would tell me, Pastor, I just feel stuck. I feel like there's no way out. I feel hopeless. I feel stuck. And there are so many people stuck. For example, you might feel like you're stuck in some loveless marriage. Or maybe you're stuck with this addiction that was maybe passed on to you from your family. Or some people that I've met personally, they've been stuck on the past for years. And they can't get over what someone did. They can't get over who left them, who hurt them who lied to them, who took advantage of them, and they're just stuck in the past. And because they're stuck in the past, there are people that are stuck on bitterness, stuck on anger. They're just frustrated. 
There are so many people that have this situation that doesn't stop. It doesn't change. So therefore, they feel stuck with this problem. Other people are stuck with the consequence of their own foolish choices. And however you want to paint it, there is a lot of people that are stuck. How do you know? Can I help you identify whether you're stuck or not? Can you let me do that? There are three identifiers you can see in this man that lets you know you're stuck. Verse 7, we're going to spend time in verse 7. And notice what this man says in verse 7. Remember, Jesus just finished asking this man, do you want to get well? Can you imagine Jesus asking you, hey, do you want your life to change? Do you want to get better? Do you want a miracle? Do you want to get out of this? I would imagine the majority of us would say, uh, duh, uh, yes, yes, now, please, uh, hello, obviously. But notice what this man does. In verse 7, the man said, sir, he replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Now here are some three indicators you're stuck. Number one, notice he tells Jesus, everyone goes ahead of me. Everyone goes ahead of me. See, you feel stuck when it feels like everyone is ahead and you're not. Amen? You look at people's life and it seems like they're ahead and it seems like they're moving up the ladder. They're doing something with their life. You might look at their social media, their Facebook or whatever, and they're just smiling, laughing, going on vacation, taking these stupid photos with their spouse, whatever, and you think, wow, this person, they're going ahead. Look at them. They're married. They got kids. They just bought a house. They're going, you know, you don't want to go to Europe now, but hey, they're on vacation. They're, I mean, I'll go if I get a discount right now. I heard flights are cheap. But anyway, um, we, a lot of us look at people and we say, Man, they're, they're ahead in life. And this person, notice the Bible says that this man told Jesus, everyone just goes ahead of me. But see, the Bible doesn't indicate that these people got healed. Now, here's the truth. A lot of times we're deceived into thinking because we feel stuck in life. Somehow we convince ourselves that everyone else is getting ahead but you. Everyone else is happy, not you. Everyone else is wealthy, not your broke self. Everyone else is great. Everyone else is getting what they want in life. There's just, everyone's getting ahead. But that's such a lie sometimes. Let me give you an example. Suppose you look at someone in the corporate world. And you see this person and they show up to their, their name is on the building. They have the nicest car. They walk in. Security doesn't even have to check them because, you know, that's the boss. He's climbing up on the corporate ladder. He has a house in Nantucket. He has a plane. He's living life. Everything's good. He has money. He has everything. He eats in the finest restaurants. You would look at a man like that and you would say, wow, this guy is ahead in life. But see, that same man can come home to his wife, who he barely speaks to, who he can't even remember the last time he was intimate with. They don't even eat dinner together. And this man feels like he's stuck in a loveless marriage. You see how thinking that everyone else is ahead is deception? But see, when you feel stuck, everyone else looks like they're getting ahead. You know you're stuck because this man was telling Jesus, you know, no one could help me into the pool. You see, this man tells me 
that you know you're stuck because he was telling Jesus, if only I had people to help me in the pool. If only I can get into the water. If only someone would help me. If only, if only. You see, you know you're stuck when your mindset is only, if only. If only I had more money. If only I had a bigger house. If only I weren't single. If only I was single. If only... I can get a raise. If only I wasn't sick. If only. You see, this man thought that his source of happiness was that water, that pool. And a lot of us live like that when we're stuck. See, when you're stuck, not only does it look like everyone else is going ahead in life, but when you're stuck, it feels like you adopt this mindset of if only syndrome making you a slave to depression and sadness because you feel where you're at right now is not where you belong. And you paint this picture that if only you had this or that, then I would be happy, Pastor. You know you're stuck not only because everyone looks like they're getting ahead, not only because you're thinking if only, but can I tell you why this man, in my opinion, he gave up? Why he was discouraged? Let's go back to verse 7. And I want you to see this one word, this one phrase he said, that a lot of us say to ourselves whenever we're stuck. It's the reason why so many people stop and give up. And here it is. He said, sir, he replied, I have no one to help me in the pool. And when the water stirred, no one helps me. And notice this phrase. And while I am what? Trying. You see, whenever we preach about this man, we make him out to be a lazy bum. But when I read this story, you know what I think? He's trying. Does it not say whenever I'm trying? Hello? All right. So let's not paint this guy like some person that's lazy and sick and just wants a hand me out. Listen, this guy told Jesus, I'm trying. And this is how you know you're stuck. When you're trying, but nothing changes. When you're trying, but you fail. When you're trying, but nothing happens. You know you're stuck when you can tell yourself, Pastor, I'm trying. I'm really trying to change. But every time I do better, it seems like something happens and I step back into my old ways. But I'm trying. But I'm stuck with this attitude. I'm stuck with this addiction. I'm stuck with this issue. But pastor, I'm trying. Pastor, I'm trying to get healthy. I'm trying to stick with my diet, but every time I do, it feels like someone comes over and brings flung. And pastor, I, I'm trying. But it seems like every time I try, nothing happens. I'm trying, pastor. Pastor, I'm trying to get out of debt. But every time I try, Inflation goes up. This is real. And every time I'm trying, I have to choose between the light bill or the mortgage. Every time I'm trying, something breaks down that I have to repair and pay for. Every time I'm trying, my wife gets on Amazon. I'm trying. I'm trying to trust God. Every time I pray and believe, something worse happens. I'm trying to be a better Christian. I'm trying to go to church on Sundays. I'm trying to read the Bible, but I just don't understand it. I'm trying, Pastor, believe me. I'm trying to love people, but every time I try to love them, they get stupider. Every time I try to be kind, they got to say something smart. Can I get a witness this morning? You're stuck. If you feel like everyone else is going ahead, but you, you're stuck. 
If you feel like all you think about is what you don't have and if only you had, you're stuck. And if you're trying but failing, and trying but seeing no change, you're stuck. Verse 6 tells us something amazing. When Jesus saw him, he's, you know, you have to get this. Jesus saw him. And he's lying there. And he learned that he had been in this condition for a long time. He asked him, Do you want to get well? See, the first thing I want to show you is that Jesus, He saw him. And He knew His condition. He knew how long He's been the way He's been. Can I, can I be honest now? Can I be David and not Pastor David? I don't care that Jesus knows or that He sees me. Let's be honest. Pretend you're drowning. You fell off my boat. You can't swim. And I look at you and I say, I see you. Oh, I know you're drowning. How many of you would say, oh, thank God He sees me. Thank God Pastor David knows I'm drowning. How many of you would have a sense of comfort in that? All right. So let's stop pretending that we get comfort whenever we say, the Lord knows. The Lord sees. In fact, I admire those that get scared because they know the Lord sees them. <laughs> what? Oh, He sees me. Oh, I better calm down. But see, when someone's grieving, I don't tell them, hey, the Lord sees you. Or when someone is going through cancer, I don't say, hey, He knows. Because it doesn't help. And when I read this story and it says Jesus saw him and Jesus knew his condition, I'm thinking, well, Lord, if you see and you know, why don't you do something? Back to Pastor David. So here, Jesus sees this man. He knows what he's going through. But that's not important. It doesn't matter. You know what matters in verse 6? Out of all the people in that pool, he goes to this man and he says, do you want to get well? What a profound question. Do you want to get well? Now you might be thinking, well, why would Jesus even ask that? Obviously, you know why? Because not everyone who needs help wants it. And I've been a pastor long enough to know there are people I clearly see need help, but they don't want it. Some people get comfortable where they're at. Some people don't want to change. So Jesus asked this man, do you want to get well? See, by Jesus asking this man, do you want to get well? By him directly asking him, do you want to get well? It's like Jesus is looking straight at your eyes and he's saying, do you want to get well? Do you want to change? Do you want to stop this? Do you want to see me move in your life? Do you want to see me do a miracle? Are you tired of where you're at? Do you want to see change in your circumstance? Or are you just going to stay here? See, by Jesus directly telling this man, do you want to get well? Listen, he's indirectly telling him, you're not well. And what if today the Lord is looking at you and he's saying, you're not well. You see, I know that the Lord sees us all. I know that the Lord knows everything you've gone through. He knows everything you're currently going through and will go through. He knows your hopelessness. He knows your discouragement. He knows your anger. He knows your betrayal. He knows the one who left you. He knows the one that betrayed you. He knows. And that doesn't matter. 
Because what Jesus wants to know is if you want to get well. There's so many of us that aren't well. You're not well. There's no shame in saying, I'm not well. Yeah, you're in church, but you can say, I'm not well. I'm not doing okay. Hey, I, I gotta be alone sometimes. I'm sad. I'm discouraged. I, I'm not doing so well. You see, just because we're Christian, that doesn't mean we've stopped being human. And if you've come to this church, maybe you're not well. Yeah, you're singing the songs with Frankie. You're listening to the sermon. You're shaking hands and greeting people and loving and smiling. But maybe deep down inside, you're not well. Maybe you have something so much against you. You're not well. You've come to church. You're singing, you're smiling. Maybe you post things online like life is perfect and beautiful and I'm fine. When someone asks you, hey, how are you doing? We we're programmed to say I'm good, I'm great, I'm fine, I'm blessed, I'm whatever. But see, the truth is, a lot of us like this man, Jesus can look at and say, you're not well. And Jesus says, but I can change that. It's not enough that Jesus sees you're not well. It's not enough for Jesus to know you're not well. He wants to change that in your life. Because notice the Bible says, after this man had an encounter with Jesus, he was made well again. That means that before Jesus, there was a period in this man's life that everything was well. But 38 years before that, something happened that came crashing down. And maybe you can remember a time in your life that everything was well and you were happy. Maybe it was a time you were with your family or you were married or your children were alive. Whatever it is, you can look back at a time and say, man, I was happy there. I was so much well there. I was so well there. I was so much better better and you're thinking to yourself those days are behind me pastor no they're not in Jesus name Jesus made this man well again see Jesus says I know you're not well maybe you're not spiritually well that's okay for a little bit you're saying well pastor I was well Oh, Pastor, I remember just being excited. No offense to you, I used to love going to church, but now it just feels like I, I want it to be over so I can go on with my day. I'm not well spiritually. Oh, I used to be well, but, but now it seems like I'm going back to my old sin. And, and when I go and read the Bible, I get easily distracted and I just pick up my phone and watch garbage all day. And I'm, I'm just not doing well. I've lost my passion for the Lord. I'm not doing well spiritually. That wouldn't surprise the Lord. He would say, I see. I know. But I want to change that. You're not doing well financially. No, I'm not well. I can't sleep. It's hard. God says, I know. I see. I can change that. I'm not doing well emotionally. Don't let this pretty smile fool you. Deep down inside, I'm going through depression. I cry at night. I feel lonely. I'm angry. I'm not well. Jesus says, I see. I know. Let me change that. Jesus asked this man in verse 7, do you want to get well? See, Jesus says, you're not well. Do you want to be? You're not well. Do you want to be? This man says, 
Let's focus on what he doesn't say. He doesn't say yes. Never. He doesn't say no. He doesn't say how. Verse 7, he replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water stirred. And while I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. You know what he tells Jesus? The worst thing you can say if you want to get well or if you really want to just give up on life? I can't. He doesn't say yes, doesn't say no, doesn't say how, doesn't say when. He says indirectly to Jesus, I can't. You know what that tells me? He accepted his life. He accepted his problem. He accepted his circumstance. He accepted that things would never change. I wonder how many people have accepted something God wants to change. Oh, that's good preaching. I wonder how many have accepted things that God wants you to deliver from. How many things have you accepted that God wants to set you free from? How many things have you accepted that God can say, I can change right now? But deep down in your spirit, you say, I, I can't. That's so dangerous. Notice that this man accepted this situation so much that he was laying on a mat. Why do you lay on a mat to make things more comfortable? And I wonder how many of you are comfortable where you're at when Jesus doesn't want you there. How many people get comfortable? with their sin? How many people get comfortable with their addiction? Comfortable with their anger? Comfortable, they just learn to manage with it. It's so dangerous when you live with this mindset, I can't, therefore I won't, and you know what, I'm just going to accept it and be comfortable with it. Then why are you following Jesus? He looks at you and says, you're not well. I see you're not well. I know you're not well. But do you want to get well? But see, I admire this man. He doesn't lie to Jesus. He doesn't say yes. Hallelujah. He just says, I can't. Jesus asked, do you want to get well? Not only to indirectly tell him he wasn't well or stuck, but to indirectly tell him you can change. You can get better. You don't have to stay here. You don't have to stay stuck. I can get you out of this. If not, Jesus would never have put his hopes up would never have asked him, do you want to get well? The fact that Jesus asked him this profound question tells him, hey, you can change. You can get unstuck. You, I know you've been here for 38 years. I know things have been hard on you. I know what happened wasn't fair. I know it hurt you. I know. I see. But I can change. Do you want it? This man got unstuck. How? Well, Jesus, of course. Why do we give Christian answers to everything? Because of Jesus. Yes, obviously. But can I tell you why he was stuck in the first place before we can see how he got unstuck? Verse 7, again, verse 7. Three things this man did to get him stuck. Three things I guarantee a lot of us are doing in this church. You ready to learn? Sir, he replied, I have no one to help me in the pool when the water is stirred. Let's, let's keep that verse there while I explain these three things. Number one, 
This man was stuck on pity. How many love pity parties? How many of you are, you just throw the best pity parties? And the only invite is you. You, you're, you just welcome yourself. Notice what this man, I wish I had a violin reading this scripture. Because Jesus himself, Jesus, says, you want to get well? And he says, I have no one. You ever meet people like that? I have no one. I have no one to help me. I'm alone. You know what I love about Jesus? He didn't say, oh, I'm so sorry, come here. I'm sure Jesus indirectly was also saying, you're so stupid. What a waste of time. I can change you right now. I have no one. So many people today are stuck on pity. You know why so many people stay stuck? It's because we are pitiful. We just stay stuck on pity all day. We stay stuck in our childhood. Pity me. I don't have parents. No, pity me. My father did this. My mom. Pity me. You don't know how I grew up, Pastor. You don't know how unfair life has been. You don't know. And you start feeling sorry for yourself. I have no one. You're just looking at all the disadvantages. No one helped me. No one was there for me. Do you know how many people on a weekly basis I have to encounter that are just living under pity? Sometimes when I sit down for counseling, it's just a pity session. And for an hour, they're just telling me how hard it is and why they are the way they are and how unfair life has been. And this person did this and this person did that. And so many people, do you know how many people have left forward and they just blame me for their lack of spiritual growth and they have a pity attitude. He didn't say hi to me one Sunday and that was it for me. He didn't return my call. Are we living in this new generation with pity? So many people are just saying, you know what, you owe me. People are living life like life owes you something. You know, we've gone through two world wars, a great depression. You know what that generation did? They put their boots on, they fought, and they made it work. But this generation says, no, you owe me reparations. You owe me. And we just fall victim and stay stuck on pity. But pity won't change you. It just gets you stuck. Stop feeling sorry for yourself. Stop feeling worthless. Stop telling yourself, I'm not good enough. I'm not pretty enough. Life is hard. Life is unfair. No one helps me. No one's there for me. Everyone hurts me. Everyone lies. Stop it. Because Jesus didn't ask him that. He only asked him, do you want to get well? But so many people stay stuck because we're stuck like this man on pity. And it gets worse. Look at verse 7. Because you know, pity, it's a gateway. It has a chain reaction to it. You know what pity does? It shifts you over to the next thing that's going to get you even more stuck. Sir, he replied, I have no one. Pity, right? I have no one to help me. <laughs> into the pool. And while I'm trying to get in, someone cuts me off! So it's their fault I am the way I am. It's their fault I'm stuck. It's their fault. You know what pity does? Creates blame. You know what blame does? Gets you stuck. A lot of people are stuck like this turtle. I can't preach focusing on this guy. This turtle, you're just like him. 
You're upside down. It's their fault. No, Pastor, but it's true. It is their fault. They cheated. They walked out. They lied. They fired me. They did this. And you just blame. You blame. People blame. They, they, we just blame anyone. Someone drives drunk and crashes the car and God forbid he kills someone and that person blames the bartender. We just love to blame. We want to blame people. We want to blame our past. We blame our spouse. We blame our pastor, our churches, our people in those churches. We just want to blame. But blame will always get you stuck. Look at Luke 6, 41 through 42. Notice what the Bible says here. In Luke chapter 6, verse 41. Give it up for Maria. She's doing so good today. Amen. Notice this question. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank that is in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, brother, let me take that speck out of your eye when you yourself fail to see the plank in your eye? Let me hold that thought there. When you yourself fail to see, you fail to see. Fail to see what? When you begin to look and focus on someone else's faults and blame them, you fail to see your faults and never change. I'm about to preach good right now. You guys ready? Let me show you what blame does for all my blamers here. You want to blame God even. Blame the government, which we could. Blame! Blame! People, why? It's never me. See, right now, this whiteboard, I'm going to put a dot right here. You guys see that dot? All right. Now, this is what blame does. I look at this whiteboard, and now I'm focused on that dot. And I'm just looking at it. You know what? It bothers me. Why is it there? It's uneven. It's not centered. It's, it's just distracting. And it might frustrate you now. And I don't get it. And you see, you're focused so much on this dot. But let me ask you this question. This entire time that you've been focused on this dot, does the whiteboard ever change? No. It stays a whiteboard. It stays the shape that it's in. It stays the way that it is. It stays the same way. The whiteboard doesn't change. This is how crazy it is when we want to live our lives to blame others. We look at someone else's fault, someone else's failure, someone else's choice, someone else's imperfection. Oh, they should have done this. They should have done that. Why did they do this? I wish they were like that. It's their fault. Look at them. Just look at them. And all this time you're focused. It does nothing to change. Blaming someone doesn't change them. It only fills them with either guilt or anger. Blaming someone doesn't motivate them. It only builds resentment. But yet we have adopted this culture of blame. Because we are just focused on the dot. We only focus on someone's imperfection. We only focus on the wrong. But we realize, here's how crazy it is when we blame. Let me give you a personal example. I've had people in the 12 years of our church leave. Why would they ever leave such an awesome church? I don't know. But listen, they left. But here's what's interesting. Sometimes they have called me to meet. And I'm like, oh, here we go. Okay. And I sit down with them. You know what they tell me? It's just different. It's just changed. Pastor, you've changed. The church has changed. It's just changed. So I, that's why I just left. And then I start thinking to myself, wait a minute. 
Nothing's changed. But they begin to notice the little things. The little wrongs. They walk into church and say, oh, there's a paper on the floor. Maria must have given up on life. Oh my gosh, Frankie, you know, she sang by herself today. The band must be mad at her. You know, that's, that has to be it. Oh, Pastor David, you know, he had his shirt tucked out. He just doesn't care anymore. Oh, Enrique, those faces he makes when he signs. He's probably just angry. Oh, look, the kids and the children. Oh, there's only three kids. Oh my gosh, it must be a crisis. And we start looking at all the wrong. And you're blaming everything. But you know what happens? Nothing's changed. It's still the same crazy church with the same crazy people, the same sexy pastor, The same. Can I tell how many have been in church for years? Has it changed in 12 years? We've changed locations, but we're all the same. But you know what does change? Your point of view. That's what happens when we fall victim to blame. Your point of view changes. This man got stuck because his point of view was it's their fault. They cut me off. They don't care. They're selfish. They're self-centered. I am who I am. I'm where I am in life because of them. His point of view was always their fault. And that's why so many people are stuck. Nothing changes when you blame. Nothing changes when all you do is focus on the negative and the wrong. The only thing that has changed is you. Your point of view has shifted. And therefore, you're stuck. And here's what's interesting. Not only is this man stuck because he's stuck on pity, and this man is stuck because he's stuck on blame, but in verse 14, the truth comes out. And Jesus, later Jesus finds him at the temple and says to him, See, you're well again. Stop what? Sinning. Or something worse may happen to you. Now Jesus is not giving him an impossible task to never sin. That's impossible. But see, whenever you see this phrase, go and sin no more or stop sinning, it's a particular sin, habitual sin this person has. For example, when Jesus told Mary the prostitute, stop sinning, believe me, what Jesus was addressing, stop living in sexual sin. He wasn't telling her, go and never sin again. Be perfect. That's impossible. We're only made perfect through Jesus Christ. So when Jesus tells this man, go and stop sinning, the Bible tells us the truth. This man did something 38 years ago that caused him to be the way he is. It was a sin. We don't know what sin it was. But that word sin in the Greek literally means to miss the mark. So now suppose, it's an archery term by the way. And when you're shooting an arrow or a spear, you're looking at a center target. But see, let's say this is the center target, but you hit it here, or you hit it here, or you hit it here. It doesn't matter where you hit it, how close you came to it, you still miss the mark. You see, that's what it means when the God says you are a sinner. We've all missed the mark. But when Jesus says, stop sinning, Jesus is specifically saying, you're missing it in this area of your life. I wonder, as we sell, we have pity and we blame others, maybe you are where you are because of who you are. Somewhere in your life where you're missing the mark. But see, when we're living with pity, and blame. You can never take responsibility for your own sin. For your own choices. And all this time, this guy is giving Jesus the pity story and the blame game. And all this time, Jesus knew the reason you are where you are is because of your sin. 
But it is impossible for us to address sin in our lives as long as we make excuses for it, justify it, live with pity, or we blame people for why we are the way we are. You know, some people actually acknowledge their sin, but they blame it on other people. From the beginning of time, look at Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve went through the vicious cycle of being stuck. We all know this story, so I'm just going to paraphrase it. But you notice that when Adam and Eve, they bit that forbidden fruit. When Eve literally ate them out of a house and home. When, that was a bad joke. When they were literally, when they sinned, the first thing that happened is they felt shame. So they covered themselves and hid. You know what that is? Pity. I can't believe I did that. I'm so stupid. I'm so bad. I'm the worst person ever. I'm the worst Christian ever. God hates me. That's pity, isn't it? As long as they stayed that way, they stayed where they were. They were stuck. When God confronted them, why did you do it? What's the next thing after pity? They blamed each other. God said, you know, Adam said, hey, I hate to break it to you, but let me remind you, it's the wife you gave me. He, he was ultimately blaming God. And blaming her. Yes, most of the time, it's her fault. I get it. But he was blaming her. And then she said, no, it's, it was the devil. It was blame. So they went from pity to blame. And as long as they stayed in that pity and in that blame, they never would have been healed by God. I want you to pick something up here. Did they ever acknowledge to God they sinned? No. They never told God, listen, Lord, I've, like David in Psalm 51, I've sinned against you. I was wrong. I did it. I'm sorry. That never took place in the garden. They were only filled with pity and blame. And as long as you live with pity and blame, you never acknowledge the sin and you stay stuck. Do you get it now? You'll never own up to where you need to be and your responsibilities because all you do is shift pity and blame all the days of your life. I wonder if they would have told God, I've sinned against you. I believe God would have forgiven them. Maybe they would not have been banished from the garden. I don't know. But see, it proves that since the beginning of time, our sinful nature loves pity, loves to blame, and doesn't acknowledge and take responsibility for sin. So let me just close with this. If you're stuck... What can get you out? You say, well, pastor, how do you get out if I'm stuck? I admit that sometimes I live in pity. Sometimes I blame. You're right, I am missing the mark, but I just don't own up to it. What do I do? Verse 7 and 8. Notice what this man said to get unstuck. He replied, I have no one to help me into the pool. Whenever it's stirred while I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. You know why I love this man? Because he tells Jesus, I can't. You know the first step to getting unstuck in your life is being honest with yourself with the things in life you can't do it's not a sign of weakness to say Lord I can't I can't I admire the people that have sat with me throughout the years and told me the truth pastor I can't I can't stop drinking I can't stop looking at pornography I can't stop this anger. I can't stop lying. I can't stop cheating. I can't. 
So many people stay stuck because they convince themselves they can change. They can stop whenever they want. But I love this man because even though he couldn't, he stayed in that pool for 38 years waiting. Because remember, that pool was a place that they believed miracles took place. And God would heal. And just because this man thought he couldn't, he said, I can't. Did you notice he never stopped standing by that pool? You know what that tells me? Even though I can't, I know God can do something. I know God can do a miracle. I know God can change. And I admire people that are stuck and they say, I can't stop, I can't get out of this, I'm stuck, Pastor, but, but I'm going to wait on the Lord because I know that God has the last word. I know God can still supernaturally do something. And this man waited for 38 years by that water knowing that one day God can do something. One day something can change. I wonder how many of us after 38 years would have gone home and said, you know what, I'm not even going to believe anymore. I'm going to stop praying for it. I'm going to stop even asking God for it. No, this man stayed there for 38 years. Even though he couldn't, he still trusted. Somehow he waited for God. But here's a double-edged sword. God can supernaturally change your situation. Overnight. You know, God can supernaturally wipe away Russia right now. God can supernaturally heal right now. God can supernaturally restore your marriage right now. It's true. But we, we have to be careful that we're waiting so long for the supernatural power of God Yet God is waiting for you to act and do something. And so many people stay stuck because we say, hey, God's going to do it, God's going to do it, yeah, God's going to change, God's going to do something, God's going to do a miracle. Yes, He is, yeah. But sometimes God is waiting on you. Did you notice in verse 8 that this man said, I can't, and Jesus told him, get up, pick up your mat and walk? And when this man did so, then he got healed. What does that mean to me? What does the Bible say? Jesus did not tell him, be healed. And he got up. He reversed it now and he said, get up and he was healed. Imagine this. Jesus would have said, get up and walk. And he would have said, I told you, I can't. I told you, I've been this way for 38 years. I told you, they keep cutting me off. But see, something in this man said, I'm going to stop pity. I'm going to stop blame. And I'm going to act on what Jesus tells me to do. Some people stay stuck because they're waiting for God to supernaturally change what that person can change if they simply obeyed God. Well, I'm, I'm waiting for God to supernaturally increase my bank account. Could he do it? Yes. But maybe that bank account can increase if you get up and get a job or save, tithe, be good stewards of your money. See, a lot of us stay stuck because we're too dependent on the supernatural power of God, but yet notice Jesus tells this man to do something. And maybe you're stuck where you're stuck because you're just not acting out the Word of God. What if today you're saying, Pastor, I'm done with pity. I'm done with blame. 
And I know there's things in my life I can act right now on. There's things in the Bible I know God says I'm not doing. But see, what I love about this man is that he obeyed. And then he got healed. I'm all for the supernatural miracles and power of God. But we also have to acknowledge that God tells us miracles happen also when you walk in obedience with me. And I wonder today, as we close, this man had to act first and then got healed. His mindset, his point of view had to change. Because this man said to himself, I can't. Maybe today you got to be honest with yourself and say, Lord, I can't. If you would tell God right now, I can't, you know what Jesus would say? I see that. I know that. I can change that. But pity's going to get you nowhere. Feeling sorry for yourself, victimizing yourself, telling yourself how it's unfair and hard and where was God when that happened? None of that is going to fix your life. Blaming others? It's true. They cut him off every time. It's true. There's no denying you went through what you went through. It hurt the way it hurts. But when are you going to stop using people as an excuse and start letting God intervene? You need to change that blame. Maybe you're saying, Lord, I am missing the mark. And there are areas in my life I can be more obedient and act. And when this man acted on his word, he got healed. And he was unstuck. I hope you guys were blessed by this word this morning. Can I pray for you this morning? With every head bowed this morning, would you take a moment with the Lord today? Maybe you feel stuck. Saying, Pastor, everyone's going ahead. I'm trying. I'm trying. Boy, am I trying. But I fail. And I want to tell somebody, it's not even in my notes, but it's in my heart right now to tell someone this. That man thought the pool was the answer. He thought, if only I can get to that pool, but don't you notice? The man never made it to the pool because Jesus healed him. And I want to tell someone here today that God's going to do a miracle in your life in ways you did not expect Him to. By means you never thought. Because we serve a God that's full of surprises. And you're wasting your time saying, this is what I need, this is what I need, I need the pool. No, what you need is to get honest with yourself and you need to get with Jesus and say, I can't. I can't love. I can't forgive. I can't stop. I can't. There is freedom and acknowledging what you can't do. Because when you step into that realm of I can, you also step into the realm where God says, I can. I can do everything and anything. Nothing is impossible. So stop the pity. They left you. Now leave them. They hurt you. Leave them to God. It happened. Get over it. Stop the pity. Change your point of view. Stop the blame. It's time to get unstuck. If this is you today, you're saying, Pastor, I can't. If you can't right now, if you just say, I can't, would you show me your hand today? I, just, I can't. God bless you. All across the room. 
Let's all stand to our feet. I want to pray for all of us here tonight. Father, I thank you for this word today. There's a lot of us here, Lord, that are hurt, that are stuck. But because you asked, do you want to get well? It means that things can change. Miracles can happen. So Lord, I pray in Jesus' name for everyone here that feels stuck, that feels like everyone else is going ahead. I pray for those here today, Lord, that are missing the mark, that have sin in their life they have not owned up to. And I pray, Lord, in Jesus' name, you will set us free from being stuck on pity, stuck on blame, and stuck on a habitual sin in our lives. Give us the strength to do your word as this man did. In spite of how long we've been in our situation, what has happened in our life, who has hurt us the way they did, help us like this man to do what you have said, to live by your word in obedience so that we can see a greater miracle in our lives. Forgive us, Lord. I pray you would forgive us all for blame and pity. Forgive us for not taking responsibility for our own choices and sin. And help us, I ask, Lord, to get up and walk, not to accept where we're at or get comfortable with it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Come on, give God some praise today, church. Amen.